My name is Tyler Holder and I serve as our pastor of men's and young adult discipleship here at Gospel City and I'm excited to be opening up God's word with you today. Now as you find your way to 2 Timothy 2, let me ask you just a quick question. How many of you have ever left your home, whether it be on a family trip, a date night, a quick trip to Target and forgot something essential, whether it be your phone, the diaper bag, a child, right? Okay, some of us have, right? I can remember a few years ago, Janelle and I had just moved here and we thought it'd be a great idea in the December time frame to pack the kids up, go on a quick overnight to Chicago. Now, what you gotta understand about me is, is I spent 21 years in South Central Virginia. So to me, cold is about 40 degrees. And that's about it. So when we're on our way to Chicago, we had failed to, to really consider how windy the Windy City actually was. And we had failed to consider how cold the city actually was. But nonetheless, we get our kids in the car, pack it up, and off we go to Chicago. We pull up to the Museum of Science and Industry, and our goal was to get through the museum so we could get to the Christmas lights at Lincoln Park Zoo. So we park and out go the kids, Jax is first and then baby girl and we run into the museum because it's frigid, spend a few hours and then we sprint back out. Now at that moment, that's when we had our home alone moment. Do you guys know what we're talking about? Where you're sitting on the plane and then all of a sudden you remember what you've forgotten, right? It, it, it didn't even hit us. That baby girl who's about four at the time didn't have her winter coat because why would that be important in Chicago in December? I don't know. So we drive to the hotel and we're just failing as parents, right? Just, oh my gosh, I can't believe we forgot her coat. We're, you know, we're gonna spend the whole night outside. So what does a caring, loving, adoring, forgetful father do? I scour the streets of Chicago for a budget coat for my four-year-old daughter. Now, here's what I realized. There is no such thing as a budget coat in Chicago, especially downtown. Right? So I end up in Old Navy buying Adelaide like a $60 coat that's three sizes too big so she can wear it for the next two years. <laughs> and off we go to Lincoln Park Zoo and she looks really actually really cute and adorable but also really funny in a huge coat as we're walking through the zoo. Now I wish I could tell you that that was the last time we forgot anything. But that just wouldn't be true, right? Now the refrain when we leave our house is, do you have your shoes on? Because we've been that family, right? Are you homeless? No, we just don't wear shoes ever at all, right? Jax, do you have your shirt on? Because he has a tendency to wear a zip up and nothing underneath. So when we get to the store and he's warm and he unzips it, it makes for a weird moment, right? And it's very 1970s, nobody enjoys it. It's gone, shouldn't come back, right? Hey, do, do we have our masks? Because we all know that's the thing. Janelle, do, do we actually, do we have the kids? Are they here with us? Right? We, we go through this list in our minds of all these things we should remember. And, and I don't know about you, but in my family, the things that we often forget tend to be some of the most important things. Clothing is essential and necessary, and you shouldn't forget that, right? And, and if I'm honest with you, that forgetfulness often bleeds into my relationship with the Lord. Man, I don't know about you, but as I sat where you're sitting right now a week ago and as Pastor Trent unpacked for us the things that we need to remember and we need to call to our minds each and every day, man, every point I was going, yep, I'm forgetful. I've forgotten that. 
I, for, I need these gospel reminders in my heart, in my life, so that I don't forget. And this morning, as we look at 2 Timothy 2, verses 10 through 13, we're going to finish out this list of what we must remember. Now, now by way of reminder, I, I want to put before us what Pastor Trent put before us last week. That you and I, because we have cases of gospel amnesia, you and I must call to our minds daily certain things. We must remember that Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. That he's Lord and I'm not. That he's the way, not the world. That he's defeated death, hell, sin, and the grave and is at this very moment resurrected and has ascended and is now at the right hand of God the Father. And we need to remember that. We need to remember that as abiding disciples in Jesus, suffering is guaranteed. And it is a beautiful thing because Jesus is worth enduring trial, persecution, pain, and suffering. And his mission is of more worth and of more value than we could ever understand or estimate. And by the way, suffering doesn't negate the power of God's word. God's word perseveres. I hope this past week you've been able to call that to your mind. I hope you've been able to remember. Because we must be a people who not only adore and love Jesus on Sunday morning, we must be a people who adore and love Jesus and remember him throughout our entire week. So today, as we get into 2 Timothy 2, verses 10 through 13, we're going to see two other reminders for us in our fight against gospel amnesia. The first reminder we're going to see is that we, as abiding disciples of Jesus, those who are fighting against gospel amnesia, we must remember that the mission of God has eternal stakes. And the second reminder that Paul's gonna put before us today in our text is that as gospel-abiding, purposeful disciples who are fighting gospel amnesia, we must remember the promises of God that reap eternal rewards. So with that framework in mind, let's jump into verse 10 today and our first point, which is simply this, in my fight against gospel amnesia, I must remember that the mission of God has eternal stakes. Notice what Paul says here in 2 Timothy 2, 10. He says, therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Paul begins verse 10 by looking backwards, doesn't he? He says, therefore I endure. In Paul's immediate mindset, what he's thinking through and considering is his present circumstance. If you'll recall a few weeks back as Pastor Trent began this series in 2 Timothy, we learned that Paul is writing from a prison cell and a cell is a gracious word, by the way. It's a hole in the ground filled with other people and disease and excrement. It's disgusting. And Paul's sitting in this cell writing this letter to Timothy, saying, Timothy, my chains may bind me, but they don't bind the word of God. Timothy, what I'm enduring right now, what I'm going through right now is for the glory and the sake of Jesus. What I love about the apostle Paul is that he's kind of a, an OG sufferer, right? 
So if, if you'll recall back in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul gives us this layout of how he has endured, how he has suffered as an apostle and disciple of Jesus. Let me remind you of what the apostle Paul had gone through. He says in 2 Corinthians 11, five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods, once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. Can I just pause and say I'd never get on a ship again if I was shipwrecked once. The bro got on two more times at least, right? Three times he's shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. What goes into my mind is Jaws. On frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles and danger in the city. Danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers and toil and hardship through many a sleepless night in hunger and thirst, often without food and cold and exposure. Hey, let's just, let's just be honest with one another. None of us have suffered like that. None of us. None of us have endured the trial, pain, persecution that the Apostle Paul has endured. And yet, and yet, here in 2 Timothy 2, Paul is calling to our mind the endurance that's necessary as we pursue the mission that God has given us. Recall back earlier in chapter two where we see the mission mindset of an abiding disciple of Jesus. The mission that God has given us requires that you and I have the mindset of a soldier, have the mindset of an athlete, have a mindset of a farmer seeking the reward, seeking the goal, seeking the prize at the end of the day. We've been given this mission. And Paul's declaring to us that we must endure. The word there in verse 10 that he uses for endure, by the way, is a word that means to abide or to uh, withstand, remain, or face opposition with courage. As I thought about that word this week, I, I just got a glimpse of what happens when somebody for the first time comes to my home. So, spoiler alert, if you're ever invited to the Holder Homestead for dinner, this will happen to you, right? This past week, we invited a friend over for the first time, and Janelle's getting the house ready. She's doing a wonderful job with that. She's making sure everything's in place, and there's this moment where we pause and realize we don't hear our children. Now, I don't know if you've ever been there, but that means one of two things in our home. They're dead or they're doing something they shouldn't. Am I the only one? No? Okay. So what Jax has started doing is he started laying in wait for our guests to arrive. Jax has a Nerf arsenal and he quite often will choose the strongest and most effective weapons. And as a guest, especially for the first time, pulls up, Jax will let out this banshee otherworldly cry. And that, that's the call to his sister, who's also lying in wait, to begin the pincer move on the, on the person pulling into the driveway. Jax jumps on his bike and pedals, and it's crazy how accurate he is. He pulls the gun out of his underwear, and as he's pedaling past the person, fires and hits them. It's beautiful, right? <laughs> It's, I'm really impressed, I'm really proud of him. That's a good father moment for me, right? When I see Jax do that, what I'm seeing him exhibit is, is this endurance, is this withstanding, this remaining, this facing opposition with as much courage as an eight-year-old on a battlefield with his Nerf guns can. And as I look at 2 Timothy chapter two, what I see is the Apostle Paul exhibiting this same type of Nerf war endurance. 
And man, in the face of opposition, in the face of everything that's happening around him, the culture pushing in on him, those in governing authorities throwing him into jail, facing his impending death, those that have been committed to him, fleeing from him, I see the Apostle Paul enduring in this same way. Gospel City, let me ask you, if the example set before us is this type of endurance, to endure courageously in the face of trial, if that is what is put before us, can I ask you, how are you doing in your endurance? Man, when when you walk through the doors of work tomorrow morning and the name of God is used, not in a positive light, but as a curse, how are you doing in enduring that trial? When your boss or coworker may ask you to do something that's less than ethical, how are you doing in your endurance at your home? When your marriage might be a wreck, when your children might be wayward, when things are just going south and you can't seem to make anything right, are you enduring? What about you, student? When you walk into that classroom and that professor or teacher tells you that faith in a God who loves you and cares for you and gave himself for you is foolish and so are you if you believe it, how are you enduring? Oh, that we would see the eternal stakes and the mission that God has given us as worthy of our endurance that we would courageously face it as bold gospel people who are firm in our foundation, firm in our standing with the Lord, firm in our understanding of what it means to be a born again follower of Christ. Oh, that we would endure every trial, every pain, every suffering, every persecution. Paul has that in mind here and he's declaring to Timothy, Timothy, I have endured and so should you. Endure for the sake of Jesus. Endure suffering, endure trial, endure persecution so that God's word might be proclaimed and his name glorified. Gospel City, the same challenge is for us. Am I, are you enduring? Notice though that Paul doesn't just stop there in verse 10. We see an object of his endurance. Notice what he says in verse 10. He says, therefore, I endure everything, all of these things that he's endured for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. You see, as Paul is viewing the eternal vision, the eternal mission that he's given us, God has given us, what he's seeing is he's seeing that the object of his endurance isn't Timothy. The object of his endurance isn't for the church at Ephesus and the object of his endurance isn't just a resignation that this is kind of his lot in life. No, 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 no. Notice what he says there in verse 10. He says, I endure everything for the sake of the elect. And here in verse 10, we get a beautiful picture of a gospel-born theology of salvation. This is what Paul is communicating to us in verse 10. This mindset of enduring everything so that someone else might know the beauty of the gospel. Here in verse 10, we see four components of a rich theology of salvation. Notice the first. The first is simply this, that salvation is for the elect. Now here's what just happened in the room. Some of our antennas shot up. 
So let me ask this question to kind of diffuse that. How many of you would say that you have repented of your sins and placed your faith and trust in Christ alone as the Lord and Savior of your life, the risen Savior? Praise the Lord, you're part of the elect. That's awesome. Praise Jesus for you. What Paul is doing here in 2 Timothy chapter two, he's, he's not trying to cause controversy and he's not trying to have a, a differing view on what is election and what isn't election. Rather, his point is to show that abiding disciples, they must remember that their purpose and enduring trial is for the sake of the elect. Their purpose in enduring suffering, persecution, and pain is so that someone else might come to know the beauty of the gospel. We see this elsewhere in the New Testament in Ephesians chapter one, we see that he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. In Matthew chapter 11, Jesus' own words, no one knows the Father except the Son and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. We must endure pain, trial, persecution, success. We must endure and have this mindset of a good soldier, a good athlete, a good farmer, because we are focused on the desired outcome that someone would repent and place their faith and trust in Christ. That might go from death to life. That might be a part of the elect. That's the first component of a good, sound gospel salvation theology. The second is simply this, that salvation is obtained through hearing the gospel. Notice what Paul says next. He says, therefore I endure everything for the sake of the elect that they also may obtain the salvation. Now there's a tension here in the text, isn't there? Because the tension in our minds is to say, man, if God has elected somebody, then why would I ever share the word with them? If, if it's up to God, then man, I don't have to open my mouth at all. And that's not what Paul's saying at all. He's declaring to us that the elect obtain salvation when someone opens their mouth and proclaims it to them. This isn't an excuse for us to sit back and say, God's got it. He's, he's in it. No, 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 no. The fact that we see God's election in scripture is a motivation for us to open our mouths as the primary vehicle to proclaim the gospel to those around us. You see what Paul is doing here in 2 Timothy 2 is he's balancing for us the truth that God's election doesn't negate our responsibility to share the gospel. Rather, it's a motivation for us. My mind flies to Romans chapter 10. How can they hear or how can they be saved unless they hear and how can they hear unless they're sent? How beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news. Catch this. If you're a follower of Jesus, you only, aren't only a part of the elect, but you are also God's plan A for proclaiming the gospel to the world. Man, that's you. It ain't me. It's you. As an a disciple who is abiding in Christ, you are God's plan A to open your mouth and proclaim the beautiful news of the gospel because salvation is obtained through the hearing of the gospel. Are we enduring in that? Man, do our neighbors know our care and desire for Jesus? Do our coworkers, does our family the third component is simply this. Salvation comes through Jesus Christ alone. Notice this salvation is in Christ Jesus. Salvation simply comes through Christ alone. He is the way, the truth, and the life. There is no other way. 
Good works? Nope. Humanism? Nope. Cultural Christianity where you place a veneer of faith over you and call it gravy? Nope. The only way salvation is obtained is through faith in Jesus Christ alone. And that faith radically transforms you. So hear me, Gospel City, with the view of the mission that God has given us. As faithful soldiers and athletes and farmers who are toiling each and every day in the ministry of the gospel, are you proclaiming the gospel of Christ alone? Do your family and your friends, do your neighbors, do your coworkers see your commitment to be bold proclaimers in the face of opposition and persecution of the gospel of Jesus Christ? I hope they do. I hope that you call that to mind each and every day. That you remember the beauty of the gospel message and realize that it is in Christ alone. And the last part is this, that salvation is eternal. Notice he says, therefore I endure everything for the sake of the elect that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. There is an eternal perspective, an eternal goal that Paul has in mind here. That the proclamation of the truth of the gospel message is obtained by the elect through you opening your mouth and the result is, as you proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ alone, eternal glory. Oh, the beauty of that. That the gospel doesn't make your life whole, happy, and healthy here, but the gospel stores up for you an eternal weight of glory. That yes, you may be a mess here, but a mess that's a faithful, abiding disciple yields an eternal reward in heaven. The beauty of that. Gospel City, we are to call this to our minds. This is what we must remember as we fight gospel amnesia, that God's mission that he's given us to proclaim the gospel to the nations as his chosen primary method for proclaiming the gospel is you, as we proclaim the gospel to the nations amidst suffering and success, realize, realize that there is an eternal reward for those that repent and place their faith and trust in Christ. For you, as an abiding disciple, there is an eternal reward. As you consider these truths of a theology of salvation, can I encourage you with a simple statement that was made generations ago by a man named Charles Spurgeon? He made this statement, as soon as a man has found Christ, he begins to find others. Realize that the stakes before us are eternal. God's given us this mission and as we endure everything for the hope, for the sake of the elect who have yet to believe, as we do this, we are quick to obey Jesus' command to open our mouths and boldly proclaim the gospel. We are quick to obey his commands, to go into all nations, every people group, every neighbor, every family member, every coworker, friend, and enemy, and proclaim the saving message of the gospel. And the beautiful thing about the gospel is that it's simplistic in nature. The gospel is simply that God's holy. Isn't it a beautiful thing that God's not like you? God's not like me? Isn't that a beautiful thing? Because if God was like me, the world would be a jacked up place. And if God was like you, it'd still be a pretty jacked up place. But the gospel declares that God is holy. He's set apart. He's different than you and I. And you and I, we are marred in our sinfulness, broken, fractured in our relationship with the holy God. 
And we're born that way. There's nothing we can do to repair that relationship with God were it not for Jesus Christ, risen from the dead. Christ is our Redeemer and King who has reconciled and brought us back to a right relationship with God if we repent and believe. That's the gospel message. That's what God has given us to proclaim in this mission before us with eternal stakes. Gospel City, I want to fan you into flame, to fight with endurance the battle that is raging around you. The battle for the souls and the eternities of those that you call friends and family, those that you call son and daughter, mother and father. I want to fan you into flame to be bold proclaimers of the gospel because eternity is at stake. That's the mission set before us. Not only do we see that in our fight against gospel amnesia, but we also see this, that in my fight against gospel amnesia, I must remember that the promises of God grant eternal rewards. What Paul does here in verses 11 through 13, he pivots and declares a, an ancient hymn that was most likely sung at the early church gatherings. Now I know what you're thinking. We really want you to sing that, Tyler. And I appreciate that. I appreciate you putting that trust in me. I want Micah to still have his job on Monday, so I won't do that for you. Um, I don't want to show him up, and I don't want to make you hate me. So I won't sing it. I'll just simply read it. Notice what Paul says here in verses 11 through 13. He says, the saying is trustworthy. For if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful for he cannot deny himself. In our fight against gospel amnesia, we must remember the promises of God that grant eternal rewards. God gives us four promises here in these last few verses, two positive and two negative promises. Do you guys know what a negative promise is, by the way? I give negative promises all the time in my house and I bet you do too. A negative promise is something like this. Jax, baby girl, if you do that, I promise... I will fill in the blank, right? Am I the only one? Come on, parents. Give me some counsel here. Let me just vent, right? So God gives us two positive promises and two negatives. The first positive promise is found there in verse 11. Notice what he declares. If we have died with him, we will also live with him. Paul puts before Timothy the exact same statement that we've already seen Jesus make in Matthew chapter 10. In Matthew chapter 10, 39, Jesus declares whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Realize that we, as an abiding disciple of Jesus Christ, if we have died to our old way of life and been resurrected with Jesus through faith and repentance in him, we have an eternal reward awaiting us in heaven with Christ. We have this long game view that man, at the end of the day, when I draw my last breath, my next moment will be with him in eternity. And that's a beautiful thing. But we also have a present reality of living with Christ here and now. Colossians chapter three declares that to us, that you are buried with Christ and are raised to walk in newness of life. You have this eternal life with you presently. You don't have to be bound to the chains of sin anymore. 
You don't have to fall prey to the wiles and schemes of Satan. Yes, he's going to attack you. Yes, he's roaring like a lion. Yes, he's setting all of these traps for you. But as a faithful abiding disciple of Jesus, oh, you have victory over that. There is a present reality of living with Jesus here and now. We are prone to forget that, by the way, at times. Maybe it's just me, but man, I am so quick, so quick to forget that my life is hidden with Christ in God and so quick to revert back to that anger, revert back to those lustful thoughts, revert back to those words, revert back to what I used to do before I met Christ. Maybe you're the same. Man, you don't have to live in that defeat. You can live a victorious life in Christ. Submitting yourself to him, Romans 12, each and every day. That's the first promise we see. The second promise is simply this. If we endure, we will also reign with him. That word, again, should remind you of what we've already covered in verse 10. It's the exact same word that Paul used in verse 10. Endurance in Christ, by the way, is not what saves you. Endurance in Christ proves your relationship with him. Endurance, if we endure... If that is what we do, if we abide, if we remain, if we courageously face opposition on the foundation of the gospel of Jesus Christ, then the promise is we will also reign with him. Realize that these promises aren't simple. These promises aren't easy. It's not daffodils, buttercups, and butterflies for you. Nor is it for me. These promises are meant to remind us in the midst of pain, in the midst of trial, in the midst of persecution, when I am derided because of my faith in Christ, I can fall back on these promises. That man, if I have died and now I'm alive with him, praise Jesus. Man, if I endure, I will reign with him. Abiding disciple of Jesus Christ here this morning at Gospel City, realize that we should endure persecution, suffering, pain, trial, success as a good soldier for Christ. Recognizing that in the end, our position with him is that of reigning. Paul goes from these two positive promises and then he pivots again and goes to two promises rooted in a negative outcome. Notice the latter part of verses 12 and 13. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful for he cannot deny himself. The third promise we see is that if we deny him, he'll deny us. Again, Paul's not saying anything new. He's just reminding Timothy of what Jesus has already declared. Again, in Matthew chapter 10, everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge before my father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my father who is in heaven. Now, realize this. Here is is what Paul's not saying. What Paul's not saying in this moment is that you as a disciple of Jesus need a 100% track record of success each and every time. That's not what he's saying. And here's how I know that. Draw your mind back to the night Jesus was crucified. Draw your mind back to the night where Peter is standing warming himself by the fire in the high priest's house. And recall, in the midst of that trial, 
of that pain, of that persecution. Recall what Peter does. Warming himself by the fire and a small preteen girl. Aren't you one of them? You're also with the Galilean, right? That's who you are. What's Peter do? Peter denies Jesus not once, not twice, but three times. Hear me. There is a drastic difference between the denial of Peter on the night Jesus was crucified and the denial of Judas. Peter's denial leads him in heartbreak, repentance, and a search for reconciliation. Judas's denial leads him to death and separation. What Paul's declaring to Timothy and to you and to me this morning is that, man, as we endure trial, as we endure suffering, pain, persecution, there are moments when you will falter. As you do, call to mind these promises. Endure with him. Live in him. Reign with him. But if you fall, if you falter, whether it be first day of class when your teacher openly declares that man, faith is not element, is not an element that's here in this classroom, whether it be your first day of work where man, you're taken out and that boss asks you to do something unethical, wherever it might be, realize that if you falter, be broken, repentant, and return. Be like Peter, not like Judas. If you deny him, then realize he will ultimately deny you. If you falter as an abiding disciple, repent and be restored. Not only that, the second negative promise that we see here, if we are faithless, he remains faithful for he cannot deny himself. How many of y'all got that on a coffee cup? You know you do. Right? You got that on the mug? Like, if we're faithless and then it's the sun coming up over the mountains, he's faithful. Nobody? I wish I had that coffee cup. If you have it, I'd love to drink a cup of coffee out of it this week, right? What Paul isn't saying here is that you have license to be faithless. No, 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 no. That doesn't make sense in Paul's theology. It shouldn't make sense in yours. He's already covered that in Romans chapter 7. Should we sin so that grace may abound? Get out of here. No, don't do that. That's foolish. What Paul's saying here in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 11 through 13, particularly this last part, is that if we are faithless, the word there has the root meaning disbelief. We translate it faithless, but it could be better translated disbelief or unbelief. Man, it, if you lack belief, realize that God will be faithful to himself. Don't think if you lack belief that at the end of the day God's going to judge you and say man you were a good person at the end love wins and everybody gets in no 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 no, because that wouldn't be faithful to his character God won't deny himself if you lack belief if you are faithless if you have never had an enduring relationship with the savior if you have a veneer of cultural Christianity be warned be transformed by the power of the gospel because if you're faithless, at the end of the day, God will be faithful to himself, to his holiness, to his nature, to his character. And at the end of the day, your faithlessness will result in your separation. Again, we see this in John chapter three, 
Again, nothing new is said here by the Apostle Paul. He's always recounting what Jesus has already said. John chapter three, verse 36 says, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life and the wrath of God remains on him. Gospel city. We are left in this fight, in this fight to remember, to wage war against the gospel amnesia that quickly creeps in on us. On that Thursday when you've had a rough week and you walk through the doors and your wife's screaming and your kids have splattered paint all over the walls and they're naked and running outside, nobody? Okay, again, maybe it's just me. But man, on Thursday morning or Thursday evening, when your world has spun out of control, what will you call to mind? What will you remember? Will you remember these beautiful truths that we've seen these last two weeks? That Jesus Christ is risen from the dead, that suffering as an abiding disciple is guaranteed, that the mission of God has eternal stakes, that the promises of God grant eternal rewards. Will you call these things to mind? Oh, how I hope you do. So as the band comes, realize that this fight against our gospel amnesia is at odds with our culture. That this fight against gospel amnesia wages war against our comfort, our security, our American dream. It wages war against our peace and puts before us the promises of God, the reality of salvation, the truth of Jesus risen from the dead and the assurance that suffering for an abiding disciple is guaranteed. Will we fight this week? Will we remember this week? Will we call to our minds these beautiful truths? Or will we fall prey yet again to our forgetfulness and our amnesia? Oh, abiding disciple of Jesus, be encouraged to complete the mission God has given you, to trust in the promises that he has made, to remember him risen from the dead, and to embrace suffering willingly as an abiding disciple. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that each and every day we have an opportunity to call to mind these beautiful truths. Thank you, Jesus, for being risen from the dead. Thank you for promising suffering. Thank you for giving us a mission with eternal stakes. Thank you for giving us promises that reap eternal rewards. Oh, Father, call these to our minds this week as we endure as we fight, as we toil, as we compete as athletes in this race of life. In your name we pray.